Thank you, Pastor Matt. I had to break into a little jog there. Uh, Al Jay, can you come up and join me, man? We owe you some updates on uh, Panama, our Panama trip. And uh, we want to go ahead and do that right here on the front end because we didn't want to pack it too much last week. But um, for those of you who uh, remember, we went to Panama a few weeks ago. Wow, time flies. A couple of weeks ago. Um, and we're really, really blessed about what God is doing there. Um, and so it was a kind of a convergence of Latin American pastors and leaders and churches. Um, and there's a real effort and thrust going on in our every nation world in the area of Latin America. Uh, and it's exciting. Uh, so I'm going to let Aljay start us off uh, just with what he got from uh, his time there. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, we want to greet you a very blessed morning. And then, um, yeah, I just wanted to share to you what God did, at least for me personally, because I know he, uh, he was doing something inside my heart. So I was like asking myself, what do I uh, share? What do I need to share to our family here back home? Well, I didn't understand. Now I see, though. It's yeah, so bright. Yeah, that's what I do. All right, cool. <laughs> Anyhow, um, if you allow me, I'm going to share a verse in Genesis chapter 1. You probably don't have it, but I'll just read it. Um, it says here, uh, this is verse 11 uh, to 12. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds and it was so and God saw that it was good so to illustrate that verse that I just read I have a tiny tiny seed here okay do you see it it's it's too small you probably don't see it right um, you can see it right so if I ask you what do you see come on shout a seed, right? That's correct. That is a fact. Anybody else? Anybody else? Once? Twice? All right. If we ask God, what did God saw on the seed? Remember, the Bible said, God said, and he saw that it was good, right? When God sees a seed, he actually sees more than a seed. He sees a forest. That's how powerful this is. Remember, when God created man, it was only one man. And how many, how many people are we today? There's about 8 billion and counting, right? So out of this seed, out of that Adam, man, pull a rib, form a woman, and from there, there's 8 billion people. And the reason why I'm bringing this, it's because that is what I saw in that land in Panama, okay? There were 10 people from the Philippines and U.S., right? 10 single people. Uh, and, and, and some in Peru, okay, they decided to leave their comforts back home. They studied, at least I can say for the Filipinos, they studied a brand new language. They have careers back in the Philippines. But they said, you know what, I'm going to answer the call. I'm going to go in Panama. The senior pastor who was pastoring at least 5,000 people, member, and he is one of the closest friends of the vice president of the nation. If the vice president would have a little bit of trouble, he would have his direct number, 
and call him. Hey, Pastor Rico, I am in trouble. Can you pray for me? That, that's how their situation was. Rico decided he's going to leave that comfort. He said, I'm going to respond to the call. I'm going to bring my three kids with me, my wife with me, study the language. And when I was there watching them, they were doing the service in Spanish. The prison worship was in Spanish. The sermon was in Spanish. And I was just in awe. Like, how is this happening? And the most important thing is, like a week from today, they're going to drive a 14-hour road trip to Costa Rica because they're going to start another church planting there. Isn't it amazing? Ten people, they officially launch their service with around 80 to 100 people in that small, smaller area than this. Remember, one seed. But how does this apply for us? Because I'm so excited about this. Jesus said that for this seed, fall in the ground and die. Now, this is a challenge. As a Christian, you can either be fruitful or comfortable. You can never be both. If you decide to be fruitful, then let's follow what Jesus did. Jesus decided, I will be fruitful. It led him to the cross. Death on the cross. And I was doing my Google, how many Christians are there in the world today? At least there's 2.3 billion Christians all around the world. Now, I don't know what kind of Christians, but at least Christians. Out of that life of Jesus, he chose to be fruitful, but it cost him his death. And out of that death, there's us. So what does this mean for you and me? Do we have to go to Panama? No. Maybe your neighbor is your mission field. Maybe the person close to your office or your desk mate is your mission field. And say, Lord, I'm going to be fruitful, but mind you, being comfortable it will never happen. You decide, be fruitful or you're comfortable. If you want to be fruitful, follow what Jesus did. Start to reach out. And then when we have a trip again to Costa Rica, maybe Pastor Roland, ready your passports because it's not just him and me. We're going to take you with us, okay? Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor LJ. Thank you, bro. You know, um, what LJ mentioned uh, with the team that's going to Costa Rica, the team consists of students from the Panama Church. The Panama Church has only been a church for a year and a half, and they're already launching a team to go plant another church. So uh, let that provoke you a little bit. Um, that's where I was most challenged. Uh, but I'm, I'm encouraged at what they're doing. And it really, these people, as past, uh, Pastor LJ, <laughs> as LJ mentioned, uh, these people really laid down their life. Uh, my friend Rico, Pastor Rico, uh, had a church of 5,000 people. That's, 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 that's a pretty big feat. Uh, and he gave that up, handed it off to his next guy so that he can go and, and do what God has called him to do. So I'm mean, blessed and encouraged at their sacrifice and what they're doing, and I know God is going to bless them. So please keep Costa Rica in prayer because that's going to be the next church plant uh, in Latin America. And they are really crying out for help. So all the pastors we talk to, they're like, please, if you can just come. You know, you don't have to bring a team. If it's just you, just come help us, you know. So that's where they're at. And so um, I believe God's going to use Every Nation Church Las Vegas in ways that we have no idea 
but he's going to use us to be a blessing to the nations. Amen? All right. Uh, let's jump right into our message. I want to start off with a story about a man named Bill Buckner. Now, if you're a sports enthusiast, you may have heard this name, um, and you may have even seen the highlight that we're going to show, but let me give you a few facts about Bill Buckner. He was a baseball player. He was a star baseball player who played for uh, the major, uh, MLB, Major League Baseball. He was known mostly for his time with the Red Sox. He played for several teams. Very decorated player. He had more hits than Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams. In 1980, he won the Major League Baseball batting title. He had the highest batting average. The following year, he led the league in doubles, made the all-star team. In 1982, he set a new league record as a first baseman with 159 assists. And then the following year, he broke his own record with 161 assists. He was a great teammate, a great leader in the clubhouse. But there's one play that he is most known for. It was in game six of the 1986 World Series. His team, the Boston Red Sox, they led the series three games to two. They only had to win one more game. It was against the New York Mets. Anybody from New York? <laughs> Forget about it. It was in the 10th inning of game six. The scores tied two to two. And there's two outs. All they needed was one more out to get out of the inning. It was already in the 10th inning. Uh, for those of you who know baseball, uh, nine regular innings. This was an extra inning. So this was being stretched out. Talk about drama, right? Bill Buckner is out in the field. He's playing first base. It's what he does best. He's a star. He plays first base very well. I'm going to show you a video of what happened, and this is the play that he is most known for. Talk to Stanley because had Mookie hit just a weak ground ball, Barrett was way out of position because they had a good chance to get tied in second base. Can you believe this ball game at Shea? Oh, brother. So the winning run is at second base with two out, three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first, behind the bag, it gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win it. Chris, of all the accolades and all the things that he accomplished, he's remembered for that one play. This message was inspired by our Men's Freedom Weekend, which we had a great time, all the men who came out. Uh, I believe God has really done something amazing for the women. Yours is coming up. I encourage you to sign up. I know you guys had a great time last time, um, and then we'll have more of these as, as we go. But how many know that was, that was a fail? It was a big fail. It was an epic fail. To continue the story, they lose this game. It goes to a seventh game where the Red Sox lose and New York wins because of this, this play that could have stopped it all. And so how many know sometimes in Christianity, we feel like we make a mistake and it doesn't matter how in love we were with God, it doesn't matter how much sacrifice we made for him, sometimes to us, we make one mistake and we feel like, oh man, God, I just, I blew it. 
And so I wanted to bring you a message uh, that's going to encourage you because this is an area that I dwelt in uh, for a long time. And God really delivered me and brought me out uh, because like you've heard me say before, I was one of those Christians who got saved every single Sunday. I never felt worthy. I was always feeling condemned about you know, things that I was involved in or things that I thought or things that I said or, uh, you know, growing up I had anger issues. Uh, my family's here. They can attest to that. And so God really delivered me. But there was a moment where God would, you know, try to minister to me and I just couldn't even get over myself because I felt so bad. And so we're in the second week of our series called Learning to Lead, as Pastor Matt as alluded to, in this series, we're taking notes from some of the Bible's greatest leaders. And we're going to visit a leader, the life of a leader named Peter. That rhymed and it wasn't meant to, but uh, a leader named Peter. Uh, but we're going to look at the resilience of Peter. He's one of the greatest leaders of the Bible. He was the chief disciple on Jesus' team. I mean, Jesus gets these 12 guys you know, you would think it was an all-star team. It wasn't really. I mean, uh, a lot of the guys weren't studied. They didn't have educations. A lot of them were fishermen, kind of lived in the outdoors. Um, not exactly the upper crust that you would choose a team to go and change the world with. But that's who Jesus chose. And so Peter, a fisherman, was his chief disciple. He kind of led the way with the others. And if you know the character of Peter, you know he got into a lot of trouble. Uh, Peter got, uh, he made a lot of mistakes. He was very presumptuous. He was very arrogant. He was the guy that would say, you know, ready, fire, aim. He would get in trouble in those kind of ways. Turn to John chapter 18. We're going to read about a time where Peter blew it big. Not only did he blow it big, but he blew it at the most crucial, crucial time. We're going to read in verse 15 through 18. Then we're going to jump over to verse 25 through 27, so follow along with me. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. All right, let me uh, set this up for you real quick just so you understand what's going on. So the scene takes place a few nights before Jesus' uh, crucifixion. They're in the upper room. They're having dinner. Uh, Jesus is kind of reading the scene and reading people's mail, and he says, tonight he's going to be betrayed. He told another one, you know, you're, you know, going to deny me. And of course, not me, Jesus, right? That's what we say. And so they're coming down from the upper room. Uh, I was able to go to Israel uh, about a year ago and, uh, and able to walk what, you know, through the steps that actually where everything took place. So it's really amazing. It's really very clear in my mind. So they're coming down from the upper room. Uh, down these stairs, and then there's the Garden of Gethsemane right on the outside of, of this building where the upper room is located. And so this is where this story takes place. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is arrested. He's taken away, and the uh, disciples, they hit a rough patch in their life because they had given up everything to follow Jesus, and now he's gone. Their hero, this, this guy who was supposed to have all the power, and they gave up their lives, their, their livelihood, their families to follow this man named Jesus. And suddenly he's gone. We're in verse 15 of chapter 18. It says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another uh, disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. 
So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not, uh, also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? This little servant girl identifies him. He said, I am not. Big, bold Peter. The one that said, Jesus, call me out onto the water. He says, that's not me. He's denying Jesus. He doesn't know him. Verse 18, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25, now Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it again. And he said, I am not. Okay, that's the second time. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. This is Peter. Okay, you guys getting a picture? You know, the guy who was willing to cut somebody's head off, good thing it was only the ear. He missed. And he got the ear. And that was for you, Jesus. Peter's, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I'll cut somebody's head off. He got the ear. And he said, did I, not, did I not see you in the garden with him? Verse 27, Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. And we'll get back to that here in a second. Bow your heads just for a really brief. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help us. Uh, Lord, I pray that your word would set people free today. Uh, Lord, that we could follow you in such a way that it is just... Uh, just liberty and freedom, uh, oh God. But Lord, do something brand new in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So here's Peter in the final moments of Jesus' life. The plan to save the world is now unfolding and is in, it's, it's set in action. This would have been the world series of Christianity. This would have been the world, the, the, the Super Bowl, so to speak. Jesus is everything he's talked about. It's happening right now. And so the fate of the world is hanging in the balance, and instead of showing up like he was supposed to, Peter dips out, and he disappears. After this, Jesus is taken away. He's crucified. But how many know that's not the end of the story? If it was the end of the story, we would have been in a different place, and it would have been no good for Peter. Say, no bueno. That's about how much Spanish I learned when I was in Panama. <laughs> and Jaden is teaching me more. Thank you, Jaden, for uh, every day challenging me. In mi Espanol, uh, I'll get there one day. But it wasn't the end of the story, especially for Peter. And I know Peter was glad that it didn't end with his failure. And I'm here to tell you today, that whatever failure that you've been through, whatever, anything that you might have experienced that you think, God, I don't know if I can come back from that, you can. God has something for you today. And we're going we're gonna to see in God's word how good he is. So it's the same with us. If we're honest with ourselves, we can admit that we all experience failures in our life, correct? Anybody ever experienced a, a failure? You let somebody down, someone let you down. You just wanted to time out and back away. And sometimes we, in that moment, especially when you're trying to follow God and you fall back into a habit that you don't like and you know Jesus doesn't like. 
or you fall back into a moment where, again, you're just kind of paralyzed. And from there, you kind of throw in the towel and you just back away from, from God altogether. I've had moments like that. And in that moment, it feels like any progress that we've made in our walk with God is erased in an instant. It's like we're starting all over at square one. And many people, they give up because they don't understand God's heart. And God's heart is redemptive. He's always redemptive. He always wants to bring you out. He always wants to, whatever situation you win, make it better. That's, that's his heart. That's what he wants for us. And thank God for his plan of redemption. Because of his redemption, our failures are not final. Look at somebody say, our failures are not final. As a matter of fact, the greatest leaders understand that our failures actually make us better. How can failures make us better? We get better when we embrace failure as a path to progress. You know, the world will try to write you off. We can, you know, don't lie. How many follow the lives of like celebrities and, you know, you get that bling on your phone. Oh, Brad Pitt, what's going on with him? Right? We're nosy like that, aren't we, sometimes? One wrong move and we, we write them off. And we live in a world that everybody wants to cancel somebody. Sometimes the world will want to cancel you, especially the enemy that the Bible says that we fight against. We were learning this in Men's Freedom Weekend yesterday. Over and over, the enemy will remind you and put labels on you and try to uh, give you titles that, that don't belong there. Titles that God didn't give you, but he tries, to, he tries to put on you. He'll tell you, you know what? You blew it. It was a grounder. It was so easy, and you blew it. Yeah, that divorce, yeah, blew it. You know, oh, that failure, you'll never get back in the game. Get on the sideline. And that's, you know, it, it's crazy how powerful just thoughts can be. One negative, inaccurate thought will make us just want to disappear. But remember, failure is not final. When you acknowledge it, it can bring the best out of you. In God, even our failures have value because he can use it to teach you and we learn from it. In this group of all-stars that Jesus chose, there was a disciple named Thomas. Thomas had a nickname. What was his nickname? Doubting Thomas. You know why they called him Doubting Thomas? Because when Jesus arose from the dead, when he was resurrected, he showed up, started to reveal himself to people, and Thomas said, uh, I'm not going to believe it until I can actually touch his wounds and touch his side. I'm not going to believe it. That one moment was enough to give him that nickname, Doubting Thomas. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. What we don't really get in detail from the Bible, it's believed, scholars believe that it was Thomas who went further than any other disciple. They believe that Thomas went the route of India and brought the gospel to India. Among Christian families in India, guess what the top name for a boy is? Thomas. You see, the world will want to put a label on you. The enemy will want to put a label on you. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I don't see you as doubting Thomas. 
I see you as believing Thomas. I believe you, this is Thomas who has favor. Thomas who, who is, is strong in the way he speaks. How many know God has the final word? Well, it happened eight days later. Jesus shows up and he touches his, his side and his, and his hands and, and God restores him. And now all of a sudden he's not doubting Peter, at least to Jesus, but we know him as, as doubting Thomas, Thomas, but to Jesus, that's not him. But he made one, the greatest impact among the disciples, at least in carrying the gospel to the world. Now we can argue that because I know there's different things. I know Paul took the word to, you know, to Gentiles, planted a lot of churches, um, but, but you hear what I'm saying. So in the same way, God is not judging you by one mistake. He's not judging you by two mistakes or three mistakes. A lot of times we make a mistake and we feel like we missed our chance. You ever, you ever felt that way? Oh man, I was, oh man, I was right there and I blew it. And we think we missed our chance and I'm here to tell you, you haven't. The enemy would love for you to live the rest of your life condemned with labels of failure, with labels of, of a moral failure, with labels of uh, unsuccessful relationships. I mean, we can go on and on and on. You know, I know friends, I can think of friends who I went to school with, we just knew them as liars. Anybody had friends like that? Right? They had a story for everything. They did everything. I had a science teacher who was a ex-frogman, according to him, which is uh, the early days of the Navy SEALs, before they were Navy SEALs. Uh, he swam with Shamu because he knew the trainer. Um, he swam underwater for a mile because of the adrenaline and bullets going past his head in Korea, South Korea, when he was... Uh... Anyway, these stories, and so we never believed my science teacher. And if we ever didn't want to do any work, we just bring up a subject, and he'd go, yeah... I experienced that once. And he would tell the story and we'd know, we wouldn't do any work in class. He was good at stories. We actually had a running log of all the stories that he told us. No joke. We did this for two years straight. His name was Coach Pitts. He's one of our football coaches. And uh, Coach Pitts, God bless you. I, I, you know, I'm not sure if you're still there or not. But, but the enemy would love for you to live by these titles and labels that God never gave us. Now, you may have had a tough time somewhere in your life, but God doesn't want you to embrace that. God wants you to embrace what he has for you. James 1, 2 through 4 says, count it all joy, brothers, when, my, uh, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's James 1.24. Now, there was another baseball player named Babe Ruth. Forgive me, I was with a bunch of guys yesterday, okay? <laughs> and we talked a lot of sports, okay? So Babe Ruth, the great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, right? We have all these nicknames. He was a baseball player in the early 1900s. Anybody seen the movie Sandlot? One of the greatest movies in the world. And so there was an autographed ball. Anyway, my favorite scene in that movie was when Squints, remember the guy Squints? And he acted like he drowned because he liked this lifeguard. And she went, she went to save him and she went to do mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. He lived, this is his only goal in life was to kiss her and he faked it. 
and she went to do mouth to mouth and he kissed her and then they threw him all out of the pool. Wendy Peppercorn. I, you know, I, I thought, man, you know, when I was a kid, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I didn't have the guts. <laughs> didn't have the guts. Babe Ruth, during his time, was the home run king. Guess what? He was also the strikeout king. The reason why is because he wasn't afraid to swing and miss. And if he struck out, he would step up to the plate and give it another whirl. And guess what God is telling you to do? Don't let one strikeout make you think you're out of the game. He wants you to step right back up to that plate, get that bat right back up, and look the pitcher right in the eye and say, bring it. Amen? Thomas Edison said, I make more mistakes than anyone I know. And eventually I patent them. Mistakes can be valuable. We need to see this differently. God can bring good out of our mistakes. He makes us better when we embrace and use our failures as a path to progress. We also get better when we shift our focus from failure to purpose. The reason why we don't move is because we can't get our eyes off of what happened. And we relive it over and over. And we play scenarios. How many play scenarios? Man, why did I just not do that and do this instead? And so we get stuck. Shortly after Jesus was raised from the dead, here in the story that we're following, he began to show himself to different people, uh, including the disciples. Now, let me bring you back to the way we started, and that was Peter's incredible epic failure, right? To deny Jesus in his face three times when he needed Peter the most. And Peter, that, that's, I don't know him. That wasn't me that you saw with him. And then he dips out. We never saw Peter again, even to the time that Jesus died on the cross. Peter was out of dodge. And so when Jesus is uh, resurrected, he's, he's come back to life. Uh, and then there was two women who went to the tomb. You guys remember who they were? It was Mary and Mary. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, they went to prepare his body. And he wasn't there. The stone was rolled away and there was an angel. And the angel said this. Now think about this from Peter who failed the most, the, the craziest way. You can't fail any worse than denying Jesus while he's alive in his face and saying, I don't know him. And so when the angel came in the account of Mark, he said, go and tell the other disciples and Peter. Peter was the only disciple that he mentioned his name specifically. Talk about God wanting to restore somebody and not holding his sins against him. He said, tell the disciples, oh, and Peter. Now, if I was in, you know, one of the other disciples, I'd be like, what's up with that? Jesus? Even the disciple whom Jesus loved, who wrote this that we're reading, for those of you who follow the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that's, a, that's a difficult title for me to try to claim. Um, anyway, but he denies Jesus three times. He disappears. And after the resurrection, Jesus tells the angel to tell them, the disciples and Peter, and Peter specifically. So what happens when we feel like we let Jesus down? What happens is, we are, you know, say we're following God. Uh, something happens, 
and we talk ourselves out of it. We're defeated, man. We feel bad. And then we tap out and we go away, right? What do we do? We, we're not following God anymore. We go back to our old life, correct? And so where was Jesus when he first found the first disciples? Uh, where were the disciples when Jesus found them? They were fishing, right? Guess where Jesus found Peter after he resurrected and he disappeared? He found him fishing. That's a reference of going back to our old life. Now, I don't know if you've ever let Jesus down in that kind of a way and you kind of go back and dabble in your, your old life, the things that you, you, you're not proud of, you know? And so those things, they, 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 they really weigh us down. And so when Jesus went to go look for the disciples, they were, they were fishing again and Peter was right there. But again, for Peter, that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, as Jesus is finding him fishing, it's kind, of, it's kind of just like deja vu. You know, they don't catch anything. And then Jesus says, uh, take your net and put it on the other side. And they do it and they pull up one of the largest hauls of fish they've ever pulled up. And so at that point, again, Peter goes, man, this is him. It's Jesus. He recognizes that it's the Messiah. Again, and he's come back for him. Again, how many know there is not anything that will keep God away from chasing you and doing whatever it takes to reach you, and he'll do it over and over and over again because that's how much he loves us. And so he was after Peter. And imagine, Peter, from the time, you know, uh, from the time that Jesus was resurrected and he disappeared and he denied him, and then Jesus died, he never had a chance to say sorry to Jesus. And so he's carrying this weight and he's carrying these, this, this, these feelings of guilt. And then Jesus shows up again. And now they're face to face. And so, just like a good teacher, Jesus feeds the fellas. And he says, bring some of that fish over here. Says he, he was near a fire. And he said, let's have some breakfast. And from this point, John chapter 21, verse 15 through 7 says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now remember, he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus here is going to ask him a question three times, and Peter has to give an answer three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him a second time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, say three. Has your wife ever told you to do something? I'm just, hold on, never mind. I didn't mean wife, I meant kids, you know, uh, has your wife ever had to tell your kids <clears throat> to do something uh, three times? But he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because this is the first time he's seen him. And he's carrying these, these heavy, heavy feelings. And it says Peter was grieved. There's another, you know, when, 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 uh, if we go back to the beginning of this story, um, the first time they took Jesus away and, and Peter denied him, it says he, he wept bitterly. That's how hurt he was. 
And now he's back with Jesus and he's trying to prove himself. And Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, when you read commentaries and you read about what the scholars say, they say because, that, uh, because Peter denied him three times, there was three affirmations. Jesus was reaffirming Peter and kind of restoring him. And you know, I believe that's true. I believe Jesus was restoring him and he'll do that for us. And there's been times where I've had to turn my back on Jesus and I run back to him and he, and he just, he reaffirms me. He says, you know what? You're my son. You're good. I forgive you. First John 1, 9. If we ask forgiveness, he's faithful. He's just, he will forgive us. I don't think that's fair that we can keep offending him and keep coming to him and getting, getting forgiveness, but that's, that's the God that we serve. And so I believe that Jesus was reaffirming Peter. But I believe even more, Jesus was reminding Peter of his calling. Because God doesn't want us to focus on the failure. How do we get past our failure? We look past it and look at our purpose. God wants us to focus on his purpose. Then the failure doesn't mean that much to us anymore. And the purpose was what? Peter, you're not a fisherman anymore. I know I came here and found you back in this old life, but you are to feed my sheep. You're to feed my sheep. That's why I created you, Peter. Now, I'll leave you with this thought. When we focus on our failures, we feel like losers, right? We feel unqualified. We feel condemned. But when we focus on God's purpose, we feel empowered. We feel confident. We feel God's approval. And God reminds us that we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're accepted. And that our mistakes were yesterday. Our mistakes were in the past. Another thing that we learned through Freedom Weekend and our men's weekend yesterday and Friday was that God chooses not to remember. He chooses not to use against us our past, if that makes sense. Because he's an all-knowing God. Of course he remembers. He knows but he doesn't use it in a way that's against us, if that makes sense. And so we have to remember that Jesus doesn't define us by our mistakes. He doesn't define us by our mistakes. He refines us through our mistakes. And so he makes us better. Romans 8.28 says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Say all things. Even the bad. Even the bad. God can fix our messes. God can use our messes. So we need to stop losing it over our messes. He can fix those. He'll take those. He'll take you and he'll take your mess. He'll take you. He'll take your pieces. And finally, God wants us to aspire in leadership because good leaders get better when they Use failure as a stepping stone towards greatness. God has wired us for greatness. He has established us. He has created us with greatness on the inside. Nothing less. He has greatness for me. Thank you, Lord. But he has greatness for you. 
and he doesn't want you to dwell on failures. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God has a bigger purpose than your mistakes. Jesus wasn't surprised by Peter's failure. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. Jesus called it. Remember, we're going back to the beginning of the story. Jesus told Peter, you know, you're going to deny me. No, not me, Jesus. I'll never do that, Jesus. Not me. You know me, Jesus. And he said, not only will you deny me, you'll deny me three times, and you'll know it because you'll hear the rooster. After the third one, he hears it. Now, here's the crazy thing. Even before Peter failed, even before Peter denied Jesus three times, before all that even happened, Jesus had already chosen him. He already chose him. Even though Jesus knew he was going to fail him, he chose him. And God has chosen you. And God has chosen me because his purpose is bigger than any of our failures. Later that evening, Jesus, uh, Peter did exactly what Jesus said. But Peter was already on the team. He was already a part. Even though Peter was presumptuous, even though he was arrogant, even though he was hot-headed, even though he was violent, you would think Jesus would choose somebody more disciplined, more intelligent, more refined, more qualified, Anybody ever feel unqualified? Peter may have failed Jesus, but Jesus didn't fail Peter. You and I may have failed Jesus, but Jesus will never fail us. Second Thessalonians says that even when we're not faithful, Jesus is faithful. I can't count how many times I have been unfaithful to him. And I thank God he doesn't use those things against me because Jesus doesn't fail me and Jesus will not fail you. What I'm trying to tell you is that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've experienced, no matter, you know what, things that nobody else knows about, how many know Jesus doesn't reject you because of that? His love is too strong. His love is too complete. He wouldn't do that to us. If we confess our sin to him, he's faithful and he's just. And he'll forgive us. Not only is Jesus reminding him of his purpose, he's reconciling their relationship. This is how important Peter was to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is after with us today. It's not just that we would look to heaven and want to get to heaven, but that he would have a relationship with us. And this is where I want to leave us as we bow our heads and pray. What matters most to Jesus is that we would get right with him 
and that we'd have a relationship with him. This relationship between Peter and Jesus should encourage us. You know, in some ways, I don't think I'm as bad as Peter. And in some ways, I think I'm worse. But as Jesus always does, he forgives. And he reconciles their relationship. And then they had this conversation. In verse 18 of John 21, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He was giving Peter a foreshadowing of what was before him. It was, it was death. He was going to follow Jesus into death. After saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. And there's the purpose again. No matter what Peter did, Jesus was making things right. As we're praying, I want you to think about this. We think it's over for Peter. But 50 days later, the church, as we know it, was going to be born. And they needed a spokesperson. They needed somebody to give an inaugural address. And I can imagine the, the disciples going, you know, hey, John, you're the, you're the disciple that Jesus loved. You should do it. You know, Luke, you're, you're, you're intelligent. Maybe you should be the guy. And then the guy who messed up the worst, I could see the disciples going, you know what, Peter? Jesus said, you're the rock, and on this rock, he's going to build his church. It's you. Can you imagine that? Being the guy who messed up the worst, and yet at a crucial moment, God chooses you to launch the church. He preaches and 3,000 people get saved. To me, that's an incredible story for somebody who blew it so big. Father, I just pray that Lord, as we are searching our hearts, that you would show us the areas that you want us to be free from. Lord, the areas that, that we feel like you haven't forgiven us. The areas where we feel like I, I, I can't get victory. Lord, reassure us that, Lord, you forgive us if we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.